Welcome to the first Rosen's Rantics podcast. I'm Stefan Rosen. This is my co-host, Brandon. Howdy. And joining us today is Jeff Frimpong and Jake Bennett. Why don't you guys introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Jeff Frimpong. I am one of the contributors for RosenRantics.com. I'm a current law student and uh, an aspiring political commentator. Thank you for having me here, Rosen. I appreciate it. I'm excited. Thank you for joining. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Jake, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, everyone. I'm Jake Bennett. I'm a student at Wake Forest University. I'm a Washington D.C. native. Thank you for having me, Stefan. Uh, glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you for um, joining us. So um, on today, we wanted to, t- to talk about the recent events surrounding George Floyd the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as defunding the police. We also wanted to remind everyone that this is a 100% opinion show, and we support free thinking regardless of what your political views are. So as of now, all the police are being charged. Um, So how do you guys feel about that? We'll start Um, with Jay. Yeah. Uh, First of all, rest in peace to George Floyd. This was a horrible, egregious act, totally preventable. And these officers being charged and being held accountable is a first uh, stepping point towards uh, getting better accountability for officers <coughs> taking these sort of, um, you know, terrible actions and um, abusing their power. And uh, it's sort of awoken something that. Um, was really not seen uh, in other communities aside from the African-American community. I think people are sort of realizing that this is a national level issue and that um, it takes a lot more community involvement to get any sort of uh, change made. But this, uh, this was definitely a horrible tragedy and everyone can sort of realize it. It was avoidable and, um, you know, it was a murder. Uh, so this is a, just a jumping point for this movement, I I believe. Uh, so now, um, Jeff, uh, how do you feel about the police being arrested? Um, first off, I would also like to say rest in peace, uh, rest in power, George Floyd. Um, uh, just like my friend Jake, uh, said, um, what we all saw was, uh, Mm-hmm. It was it was cold blood murder, um beyond reasonable doubt, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um and I pray that justice will be served um on behalf of his family. Um I am happy that the officers were eventually charged. However, I wish that they were charged in a timely mar- manner. And the reason why I'm saying that is that in a case where there's a crime, if there's a need for probable cause, usually um, the suspects are apprehended and arrested um, while the investigation is ongoing. And unfortunately in the, in, in, the, in the incident, that wasn't the case according to the prosecutors when it first kind of came out, they kind of wanted to wait it out and 
played a long game to decide if these officers should even be arrested in the first place. And I think that played a big role into the protests. Um, but I am happy that they have officially been charged and awaiting their trial. I've, um, and I'm excited about the trial, as I believe many of the nation is. Um, and uh, hoping for just outright justice for this man. It's the mm-hmm. best thing. Uh, so now I'm Brandon. How do you feel? Yeah, first of all, rest in peace, George Floyd. Uh, it's truly a, a, a disgusting act. It was just pure negligence um, on the police officer's part. So many opportunities to, to intervene and prevent what happened. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think it should have happened. Regardless of what country this could have taken place in, it's just something that shouldn't be happening in today's day and age or something that should be happening, period. Or a man who is just detained by someone who's supposed to protect and serve is killed. Um, whether or not you want to argue he was a criminal, um, the cop's main duty or the police officer's, a police officer's main duty is to ensure the safety of the public. So in many cases, I've heard many police officers say, yeah, once we have them secure, we want to make sure they can breathe and so on and so forth. Cause it's not, it's not street justice. It's not street justice. You know, we have courts and legal establishments for um, administering justice. So it's just truly disgusting what happened there. And honestly, I think it boils down to inadequate training and incompetent personnel. So. Yeah. You, you know, I, uh... I, I agree with you, Brandon. Um, and, you know, it was a murder. I don't yeah, think anyone's... it definitely was a murder. Just, it wasn't just a death. It was a murder. And I believe that the police are here to serve and protect. And I think that there was a clear failure uh, that day when they killed him and they completely mishandled the situation. And I think... I think even though it's a little bit delayed, I think it's good that justice is being served and the yeah the, and then it's up to the justice system now to to, to take prosecute it over. all the four officers involved yeah um exactly I definitely do think it it was justified to have the other three officers who were there to be rounded up into this because they did have multiple opportunities to intervene and stop what was going on. Cause they do have a duty to protect and serve and stand up for what is right. Even if it uh, puts their lives in danger, cause that's the job they signed up for to do what's right. And um, honestly, I think it's just, it's a disgrace that they didn't. Exactly. Um, so now I want to talk about um, something we've been hearing a lot. Um, systemic racism. You know, you hear it almost everywhere now. It's spoken about a lot. Um, I wanted to start with just in everyone's words of what they think systemic racism is and what the examples are daily. Um, so we'll start with um, Brandon. Um, systemic racism <clears throat> I guess for a definition is when a certain group of people based upon a certain identifier, whether it be occupation, race, sex, gender, or yeah, are being put under the boot and marginalized. 
just because of that specific identifier. But as to whether or not it exists in America today, um, in the conventional form, I don't think it does. But unconventionally, I do think it does. I think you got to expand on what conventional or unconventional mean, if you can. Uh, so like conventional would be um, like the system is rigged against a certain race or group. And unconventional would be like, say, affirmative action where people are getting jobs based upon their race and not their merit, which is almost a double-edged sword. Yes, it's nice you got the job, but they're not giving it to you because they think you can do it. They're giving it to you because of what color your skin is or where you were born, things you had no control over. Mm. So now, um, Jeff, do you want to add? Um, yeah, I think uh, systemic racism or institutionalized uh, racism, as some people may uh, call it, um, is a form of racism in which it is expressed in a social political form to oppress a certain group of people based on their phenotypical um, outlook. And uh, what that means is that's just, cor- that I'm just trying to say based on their race, like skin color, because um, skin color is just a phenotype. Um, in the end, we're all one human race. Um, but there is a systemic um, or institution institutionalized um, oppression um, that ha- that has been formed throughout history um, and has caused disparities in wealth, income, employment opportunities, housing, healthcare, criminal justice, education, and more other factors, um, and 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 it's simply the act of using your power to just bring down a group of people based on how they look. It's if not- I may uh, piggyback off you, Jeff, um, no one here is denying that systemic racism has ever occurred in this country. It, it's pretty evident through the post-Civil War up to even after Martin Luther King that it was at prevalent in this country. So I just want to make that clear yeah. for everyone listening. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, it, it, I mean, the, the system of racism is embedded in throughout American history, throughout American capitalism, throughout our society, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, it, 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 it literally is embedded in it. Um, and there are a few examples. Um, I know I brought up redlining, and I hope that anybody that's watching this um, podcast take some time and Google what redlining means and how. It may have been banned, but it's still it's in practice today to a certain extent and how that affects a certain group of people disproportionately. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I see as um, systemic racism. Again, I'm going to give this analogy really quickly. I've, I've said it before. And, that you know, the thing about racism is like ex- explaining how a food tastes to somebody. Right. Um, you can try to explain to taste as much as you can, but unless you've tasted it, um, you wouldn't really know how how it really feels. Um, again, you, you can try to illustrate the experience, right, of racism to somebody that's never experienced it or is privileged not to experience it. And that's for all skin colors. Um, but unless they have physically, emotionally, um, or some way, somehow, 
experienced it themselves, it's going to be extremely, extremely difficult for you to get that point across to them. Okay, so now, um, Jake, what do you think? Um, just sort of my experience with seeing it uh, comes from living in D.C., uh, where the gerrymandering has really taken effect as to where people live. Um, most of the uh, lower-income families live in the southeast part of D.C., or in the Northeast and the wealthier uh, residents live in the Northwest part. Um, and you look at the uh, racial demographics of the city and that really shows that the, you know, white families are living in the Northwest and the African-American communities are living in the Southeast. Um, no one really lives downtown. That's all government office buildings. Um, and this has really been a uh, decade, you know, multiple decade long result of a cycle of people who don't have good access to uh, good public schools, public transportation, or, um, you know, equal access to medical help. And uh, their communities are being over-policed uh, due to, you know, crime bills or just because of where the police think um, they need to be. And the sort of bad part about it is that the gentrification of the city is slowly encroaching further and further east and is, you know, they're building Whole Foods and expensive boutiques. And these expensive retail places drives the price of the housing up. And these people who don't have these opportunities to wealth are having to leave their houses because they can no longer afford their housing. And this, this sort of just, you know, from an outsider perspective, it, it looks really bad because it looks like you're trying to drive the sort of poor communities out of the city. Um, and that's the sort of system that comes to mind when I think about systemic racism is um, people are unwilling to change their culture, their way of life to accommodate uh, people who come from different backgrounds just because it might make them uncomfortable or because uh, they don't believe that it, it would benefit their life as a whole, um, which I personally believe is inherently wrong and that, you know, it's, it's very, a very backwards way of thinking about it. Um, but it still continues whether I like it or not. Uh, so I think this is one of the things that this movement is highlighting is how are people being affected every day, um, especially people in the African-American community. Um, so that's, that's really what I've seen on a personal level just here in this city. Um, so in my words, or in, in like, I believe systemic racism exists. I just don't believe that there are, that it really exists in the U.S. today, besides things like affirmative action. Um, in regards to that, um, you know, there's a majority of studies conducted at universities like um, UCLA, and um, there was a paper written on this um, by a researcher that basically uh, spoke about how, and they look at affirmative action 
and the black unemployment rate, as well as government representation. So in one of the studies, um, it, they basically looked at the socioeconomic status and issues faced by Irish, by Irish immigrants, whereas Germans, European Jews, and Asians were not protected by economic laws at the time. They had a much easier time assimilating and rising in terms of socioeconomic status. And the Irish Americans had a significantly harder time assimilating, and they had a ton of representation in terms of education, economics, social welfare systems. And I believe that those are what's affecting the community, not necessarily systemic racism. Now, Jeff was talking about capitalism. I personally believe that capitalism is the least racist system in the world because it provides you the option. If you don't like something, you don't have to go there. The only thing capitalism cares about is green. If somebody's, let's say, let, let, let's say somebody opens a business and they refuse to open it up to, I don't know, purple people. People can choose not to go there. You have the option not to go there without infringing on their right of speech. And, um, and to respond to, you know, redlining hasn't been around for, you know, 52 years now. And while at the time, yes, it was horrible that banks, insurance, and medical institutions were discriminating, I think that that's absolutely awful. That doesn't exist now, and 50 years is a long time. And now Jake was talking about housing. One of the big major facts for the housing price increase is affordable housing. Like here in Boston, where I live, my building, I believe it's 10 or 15% affordable housing, and they pay close to about 15% of the total rent that everybody else is paying. So that raises the price. And I believe that, I truly just believe that capitalism doesn't discriminate. Okay, so Jeff, I know you wanted to say something. Um, so um, you're free to go and then we'll have a little debate right now. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to comment a little bit of your capitalism is not racism. It's not, ra it's not racist comment. Um, I don't think it's explicitly racist. I think it is embedded in, in it. Capitalism is in itself. Um, well, I think that cap racism would be embedded in capitalism from old money. If someone back in, if a family back in the 1800s that was racist had money, and we all know that uh, racism is nurture, not nature, and people are brought up in that family and they continued lines of racist thought that continued throughout the generations, and they had a lot of money, which is influencing capitalism, I could see how it is that, how it would be embedded. Yeah, but like... But, but that that point is just i mean that, i mean but we're talking about modern day we're not talking about because even if somebody has money from a plantation from let's say 200 years ago there's no guarantee that the people are still racist now well well again i i don't want to sound like i'm i'm an, i'm against capitalism and wait, I can, I, can i just add one thing really quickly so it's just that slavery goes against capitalism because 
uh, that slavery is not a capitalist system. You're holding people hostage. Capitalism is about the fair market value. You know, wage does have a value instead <laughs> putting a gun to someone's head or enslaving people is not capitalism. I would argue yeah. against that. I would say they're mutually exclusive because if you're living in a society where people where certain people are seen as property, it's the same thing with robots. You know, it's free labor. Yeah. It's one less worker. You don't have I wouldn't, to I wouldn't, I wouldn't pair the two, but at the same time, it depends on the society you live in, what's, what's acceptable and what isn't. All right. Rosen, I would like you to see if you can give me a definition of what you, what you think capitalism, could you please define it for me? Capitalism is where you're allowed to have competition. It's a free market. That means that you choose where your money goes and the market decides pricing and stuff, what wages are, that sort of stuff. I I just believe that you can choose where you spend your money and it's not anyone else's right to kind of tell you where to put your money. And you also have competition. That's the big thing with capitalism is competition. You know, you don't like the way somebody's running their business. You don't like the way someone cooks their food. You can go to another restaurant. You have choice. Is Monopoly a part of capitalism? It is not. And I believe that monopolies should be taken down, especially big tech. But we're I would, talk- I would but, argue but, that that monopolies are a part of capitalism, not in the fact that they define capitalism, but it's a byproduct of a successful business model. I like the word byproduct. Yeah, but then you, but see, I believe that there's. Room I'm not against for- capitalism, and I don't think that one company should own everything. But if this company is so good at providing a service to their customer at such a good price, yeah, I have no issue with it. But you do need government oversight and stuff and antitrust laws because you have Amazon who goes in, especially on their, um, their cloud services and their app development. They literally will just take, take someone's product and just use it and just be like, we don't care if you sue us because they have enough money to float it. Exactly. And that's well, not capitalism. The, that's taking away time, competition. At the same time, you also have to protect someone's individual personal, or what's it? Um, individual personal property, you know, um, In, intellectual, intellectual property. Yeah. And also personal or uh, yeah. Personal rights or that point brand. So are you you're agreeing with me? I'm agreeing with you that capitalism isn't racist, but I'm also with Jeff that it technically you could say that racism is embedded in capitalism, but it's not embedded in the system. It's embedded in the people who have a sphere of influence within that system. I mean, think Cause about it. it. Cause money is power. And if you, if you're a racist and you have a lot of money, technically you have power, but I'm not saying capitalism is a racist ideal. I'm saying it, it's a fair, it's a fair ideal. It gives power to people who earned it. Okay. Whether, I like the, I, whether I, I, they I like, were clever with their money or they got lucky. I like the way Brandon is going about it. I think Brandon comes up with a very important statement saying that money is power. And you know, 
when you we just talked about the disparities, right? That goes on between um, in this country, especially within racial lines. And so when a specific set of race tend to have the money from 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 years of building wealth, where's that power coming from and how do they utilize it? And how do they utilize it to to and in certain cases, not saying all cases, yeah. but in certain cases, use it to oppress the people that they're in power over. For instance, when we just had this corona incidents, how when we look at the numbers of how many people um, were essential workers, right, were ultimately forced to go out there and keep working and put their lives at risk, um, we can look at it and it's disproportionately um, people from lower income, um, people from... Um, um, African descent, black and African descent race, people from the Latino community um, versus people from the white and Asian community. When it, when it came to um, just essential workers coming out and working and putting their lives at risk and for, which, for, and for which companies, right? For which companies? And we are talking about bigger companies run by ultimately you know, rich, powerful, wealthy, and white people for the most part. I, I mean, about I don't know the exact numbers, but a high percentage of CEOs of people um, running these, um, a lot of uh, Fortune 500 companies are um, presumably, again, I got to double check the numbers. I don't like generalizing, but uh, most more than likely yeah, are white I was going to comment on your, general, your uh, generalization because the highest income per capita for a race group in America is is Asians they have the highest income per capita well yeah that's I understand that but I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about CEOs in, in the United yeah States but of America. see there's I mean, more we can run the numbers we yeah there's the more doctors right and there are CEOs and there's more like that's not what I'm plant managers well, I, and stuff like that people who I, hold money and power I, when I say CEOs I mean like obviously a chief executive officer of, of an organization meaning they run operations of an organization which may directly infect people that are working for them. I'm not talking about a doctor. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just talking about CEOs right now. And I, again, I got to double check the numbers. because I don't like generalizing, but I'm pretty yeah. sure. Most I'm just talking from a money is power standpoint where people have. And I'm with income. you. I'm yeah. with you. I'm with you. Um, and so that's where racism may be and is in fact embedded in capitalism. Again, that does not state that I disagree with capitalism. In fact, that is the only system that I've, I know of since I've been born. I've not lived in a communist society. I've not lived in a um, socialist society ever. Um, to even let you know if that works better than capitalism, I'm just here to tell you what I've experienced. And yes, it may, it, you, you may love it because it works for you, right? You have benefited from it um, because you know it's free, it's fair in your opinion. But in my, in my opinion, in, it has embedded flaws and byproduct that doesn't make it free and fair for everybody. Yeah. So there definitely are byproducts. Yeah. But, but what's stopping. There's what, nothing stopping anyone. It's just, well, that, that's the thing. Bumps. See, but those, those speed bumps, you have plenty. There has to have been someone in every generation that did not start off wealthy. You know, there's nothing stopping people from creating a huge company. It just comes down to supply and demand. I agree like with it, that. It, it doesn't have to do with race. That, that is generalized. You're generalizing. You're saying there's nothing stopping people from creating a huge company. That's a big statement. I mean, what's stopping people? 
well, what comes what comes into creating a company? We we're talking about resources. We we're talking about. Um, I mean, you drop ship stuff that that's pretty much no yeah, overhead. That, that costs literally nothing. You just have to pay like a $10 service a month to Shopify. Exactly. Not sponsored by them, by the way. All right, you guys are being very specific. I mean, are we talking about business? How do we get to Shopify? Because he's okay. talking about how you can start business with Low little cost to no overhead. overhead. Yeah. But what are your chances that Shopify will make you a millionaire? Well, that's exactly that, it. That's the thing. You, there's you just have no to do guarantee. market research, see what products are trending on Alibaba and see what trend, products are trending on Amazon or eBay. Probably Amazon because you're going to do it through FBA. Um, but because you buy a bunch of product at once and then Amazon takes care of the distribution and shipping for you. And all you have to do is pay for the upfront product and you're probably making more than 100% on every product because you're buying, let's say you're buying a phone case from China, a dollar a piece and you're selling a $5 piece on Amazon, you're giving Amazon, I forget, like 30%. And again, like if, there, if there are companies that are racist, people have the option not to spend their money there. There's always that option. You don't have to spend your money there. Look at the cake shop because they wouldn't bake the the cake for the gay couple. You know, the people also had the option to go find another bakery. That's capitalism. That's a benefit of the system is that just because somebody disagrees with you, you have the option to not spend your money with them. So what about the people, what about the companies that are not overtly racist, that are just systematically racist, right? By the way, they employ people, by the way, they pay people. What about that? How will we know? Is that not still embedded in your body? It's illegal on a federal level. Well, there's a lot of things that are illegal that doesn't, that's legal, that doesn't mean it's right. Slavery was legal at one point. Was it right? I don't think so. There's still a lot of things that are legal that we, that may not be right. Yeah, but it's illegal to to discriminate based on any sort of identifier in a hiring process or in a promotion process. And if there is discrimination, and if there is discrimination, you can sue and make a ton of money. And then that way you're now on the top of the wealth system. So like Jeff, you're talking about, um, you're talking about the embedded racism and capitalism and hiring. What evidence is there? And Jake, you seem like you wanted to respond earlier to something uh sure i just um i think i've been hearing this whole conversation and um agree that you know it's not inherently racist it's just the history of it 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 racism is intertwined with it just because of how america was founded you know first it was slavery and you know, this sort of free market idea really flourished when people could have other people do all the work for them and then they would take all the profit. Um, And then once, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation came around and people were free, the Jim Crow laws were set in place so that, you know, African-Americans could not accumulate wealth and so that, you know, white people would still stay on the top of the wealth ladder. And while these laws have sort of disapparated and, um, there is more of a fighting chance for people to accumulate wealth. You still see people working two to three jobs because, you know, they're immigrants or their parents were immigrants and they don't have this sort of financial backing from their family that, you know, a lot of us have. I would like to interject. Yeah. Um, my mom's an immigrant is, is an immigrant and uh, she put herself through college. She got her uh, radiology tech license and then, 
started a family, had to retire, not retire, but she had to step away from that. Yeah. My dad grew up in uh, Bedford-Stuyvesant in Brooklyn, pretty tough neighborhood. And he's out here in the suburbs in New Jersey. One of my family friends, he's an immigrant. His wife's an immigrant. They came here. He started a construction company. He's pretty well off too. So I would say that if you know how to play the system, you can, you can get wherever you need to go. I would just argue that it's a matter of literacy of your surroundings and how to market yourself and where to find your niche. Cause okay. I feel, I feel for the people who have to work three jobs to make ends meet, but at the same time it boils down to who's clever and who's not. Cause you always, if you bring it back to elementary school, you always have those kids who are clever who had like the side hustles and like selling chips and stuff. They kind of clicked on. Some people don't click on things as, as easily. So, and, but there's I also, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that just cause you're an immigrant, you can't make it in this country. And that's, that's not the point I was trying to argue. I'm just saying that, you know, if everybody's on a ladder and, uh, based on your sort of family's wealth, you're positioned on, on, you know, specific points on the ladder. If you look at, you know, how many people are midway on the ladder, you're trying to get to the top and people are at the bottom, you know, is that, is that, you know, is everyone yeah. playing on a fair play? I would, I would argue, sometimes with, I would argue you say, with you on but the you same also, point that you it, can it also lose on. everything. It's also, I would say it's easier for someone who has money to make more money than someone who doesn't have money to make money at all. But at the same time, they're still navigating the same minefield. But you, it's just and, where you start in the minefield. And there's also the possibility that you could lose all that money. There are people who are billionaires who've lost everything. My grandfather was a very wealthy man. He owned many factories in New York in the 1930s, and he lost you know, millions of dollars in a, a Bernie Madoff type scheme. And you know, our family is still fine financially, and, I, and I'll recognize that does happen. I'm just saying that it does, you know, there's a lot of luck playing into it. Uh, especially for people who are starting at the bottom and are working their way to the top because there's a disproportionate amount of people who are midway through the wealth ladder uh, just from birth. Uh, and if you look by race, you know, I would say in America, it's predominantly white people who have this strong family background, you know, net that they could fall back on if their business doesn't work out. And I, I, well aware that there are many uh, people, especially first generation families who set up these, uh, you know, businesses just like your mother did uh, and, and your dad. And a lot of them don't get, uh, you know, they're not as fortunate as they are. And yeah, it's definitely they, boils down to right place, right time. Yeah. The right people. Well, and well I, th- I think, I think that, I think that on a, on a basic level, we can all agree that it, it, yes, capitalism may be great and fair, but it's not on an equal playing field for whatever, for whatever reason, it's just, not I would really say it's an equal playing field. field, but I, I would say it's almost like a sprint where the starting positions are staggered. Yeah. You just, you just explain what unequal is, but I get yeah. you. Um, um, but I want to go back to Rosen. I know Rosen was talking about um, how certain big companies with it being illegal. I know uh, Brandon said that, you know, it's illegal to discriminate um, uh, against hiring people. I, I, I don't know if you guys buy, are by a computer, but if you can just quickly Google image search unprofessional hair, um, I'd appreciate it. If you can just go on Google search, click on unprofessional hair, I would appreciate it. 
Is this, is this in just, regards to like uh, people having dreadlocks or, you know, Afros yeah, in the workplace? I mean, at my last workplace, tons of people had dreadlocks and curly whoa, whoa, whoa. hair and Brandon, so on Brandon, and so forth. Brandon, Brandon, I understand your experience and I cannot invalidate them. Um, but you also cannot invalidate others' experiences based on your experiences. And I, I'm only bringing this up because a lot of the time you keep you you're 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 kind of coming up with the I and my experiences. Again, they're they're valid. Yeah, but they're I, I worked in Baltimore, which is a predominantly minority-based city. And I, I I understand that, but I'm trying to make a point here. And again, your experiences are not invalid. I'm telling you that right now. But they are also yours. Yeah, but how does a Google search of unprofessional hairstyles apply to the hiring process and you federal never, law? You, ju- you just never. How you does, just never let me get the, to my point? Yeah, but you the, just yeah, never, I, I haven't gotten to my point, and you guys. Just I, I also point. see her. I also see a white woman with a bun as well. Again, I, like I haven't to gotten to out. my point. I haven't gotten to my point. I think both of you understand my point and know where I'm going with it. I think both of you can see it. It's just hard for you to understand it because you haven't experienced it. And that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine to live in the world where you haven't experienced it. Because prior to this, I said, it's just like drinking that the juice. If you haven't tasted it, it's very, very I've hard. tasted the juice. I've tasted the juice. If you have tasted the juice, I think you understand the point that I'm trying to make. But now you're speaking However, on behalf of Brandon. No, I'm not. He said he's tasted the juice, and I just said if you tasted it, you'd understand the point I'm I'm trying to make. Again, and that's why I show up to work with a fresh fade. Perfect. That's again your experiences, and I cannot invalidate that, and I don't want to. But going back, you guys googled it. I'm pretty sure you guys have seen a specific pattern, right? What a actually, pattern actually, the second result just shows just shows all people working professionals with natural African American hair. Again, that's not the point. The HR manager at my last job had faux locks, I think. All right. <laughs> I, don't, I, I mean, so, if I'm not going to be able to get my point out. The here, car, here, here you can point. continue. She was, she was the uh, most professional woman Brandon, I've ever met. Brandon, Brandon let's, let's <laughs> let him go. I just, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make a point. Um, if you guys want to develop your um, argument skills or develop your experiences, it's good to talk to other people and, and hear them out. Just like I'm willing to hear your experiences out. Um, with that being said, we just Googled unprofessional hair and let's all be honest. I like honesty. Honesty is how I live my life. Um, I'm physically seeing a set, a set group of individuals here, specifically black women in this Google search. Um, this is also an example of technology, technology being, have racism be, in a sense being embedded in it. This is not even a sense. This is explicit, right? You Google unprofessional hair and a set group of people, which de- with their natural hair, right? Yeah, them, but you're uh, Googling it through a private company, which is owned by Google, not the federal government, which has no I didn't jurisdiction mention over it because government. of net neutrality. I didn't. I, I didn't, I didn't yeah, but I said it was government. illegal on a federal level, which pertains to the federal government, and which regulates the hiring practices of private companies. I just you found. Know, do, go ahead, Rosen. I literally just found an article by, about um, how more states are trying to protect black employees who want to wear natural hair. But oh, that's as a result of them being discriminated because of their you. hair. 
Thank you. That, those laws came but into like, practice because but like you also, but there's also plenty of workplaces where you can't have a beard. You have to have a clean shave. You constantly have that's to have from that's different from not offering somebody a job because of them. We're talking about their yeah, hair but, is them. but discount tire, discount tire makes you clean shave. And if you're in the military, you need to shave or you need a shaving profile. It's the company's image that they want to uphold. They want to clean, like they want. And they have an image they want to uphold of their employees. But having if they're requiring a, so you to have your hair back, whether yeah, it be for safety reasons or everybody reasons, has you have to, do, to it. do it. Everyone has to do it. My my dad worked in the White House and he had to shave his beard every day he worked there. And that is completely different from telling a black woman, Yeah, you can't have your hair here because it's, you know, it's nappy or something like that. If you're a man and you shave your beard, that is complete that you know, that's facial hair. That's not, I've you know, never, the hair you I've never seen with. a work. St- I've never seen a workplace where they say you can't have your natural hair. Obviously you can't, you, well, obviously, obviously you can't show up to work with a mohawk. They're not going to not hire you because you have dreadlocks. Well, a lot of like, people like rainbow. A lot hair. of people, by the way, Brandon, I had, I had, I had, I had, I had, at my last job, I had someone with purple hair. I had someone who had dreadlocks. I had someone who was bald. I had someone who had a, had a mullet. That's um, your job. That's your last job. Yeah, it was a that's, privately that is, owned that, company. That that is that that is point one percent of the whole population of people that may be feeling so that any they of, cannot so any of Brandon's personal experiences are just in the minority it of experiences. Well it could very well be. So then I've also been in logic. the hiring process and we've never said, Oh yeah, that kid came in, yeah, his hair was a mess. Happy. Nah. They're lost. Nah. They're lost. They're they're literally lost. It were various state that That's doesn't protect said. people. There's that laws. Doesn't, I can't the, you can't discriminate against people in the hiring process, and there's laws but against there are that. Laws that, the, that, that those laws happen because there's been so much discrimination in the past. And I want I want to hear what Jeff's saying because I think he's about to say you know exactly that is these laws come into fruition because there's discrimination over how people look. And, you know, you think 20 years ago, would you think that people in government jobs would have, you know, braids or purple hair or, uh, you know, anything besides a sort of cut image of, you know, a person with, you know, a, a, a clean haircut. And I think people sort of caught on that no one looks the same and telling people that they can't get a position here just because of what they look like is kind of, you know, inherently wrong. So yeah, I, I do really want to hear what Jeff is saying. Um, so basically Jake kind of proves a point that one, for the, the fact that we're talking about, if you can Google it, it's not all 50 states. Again, not all 50 states protect people um, from discrimination. That's also true. It's not, it's not federal. It's not. Okay. It's federal. So, if you ever look in the hiring process when you're applying for a job, it's in the fine print. Okay. It's federal, but what we live in a republic. So the states... We live in a democratic republic. Okay, yes, I understand that. We do live in a democratic republic. Where federal to... law is above everything. But like, okay. but like at that same point, you have a ton of workplaces. You know, you're working retail, you're working in sales. You know, they're going to tell everybody to have clean haircut and clean beard it's also called a uniform too because everyone has to look uniform exactly 
since you guys want to miss the point completely to make your point, which is perfectly fine. I deal with people like that a lot. However, we just Googled it on professional hair. You saw yeah, it. Well, but I, I Googled, I Googled professional hairstyles and a princess Leia haircut came up. So I don't understand your point. <laughs> no, he literally just, yeah, he literally, uh, the print, if, so, you, no, so you, it, it, that was I'm not skewed, kidding. That was a skewed search result. That's all Brandon is saying is that the logic behind that search result. I don't think I've ever seen someone come to work with flowers in their hair. Just like their wedding day. Mm. But um let's, all I'm saying. let's segment a little over to but also um, if you want to go into professional hairstyles, it's also the same thing with tattoos. Listen, that's a choice. Wanna, that's Brandon, a choice. That's not what you're born with. Brandon, Brandon. You can choose I, I how you want to wear your hair. Brandon. You can really choose wanna, where you want to get a tattoo. Brandon, I really, I, I really, I really want to let you know that there's absolutely no federal law that prohibits the discrimination when it comes to hair. That that is Yeah, true. it's it's I'm not saying there's a you, federal law discriminating against race and stuff like that. But if someone doesn't want to hire you because you're unkempt, that's their prerogative. I give up. <laughs> so then, I mean, you keep, you keep claiming to know the law and I'm, I'm trying to explain it to you, dude, bottom line, I talked about hair. Okay. Which is specific to race. I understand, but I'm talking about hair at this point. And you said that the federally, because there's democratic Republic, which has higher than the States, and I'm trying, and I've been trying. We're actually a Again, constitutional republic. Oh, God. Just, just to clarify. There is literally no federal law that discriminates against this form. Against hair, but there is against race. And you're saying because these people are of a certain race and they're wearing their hair this certain way, they're not getting hired. Bringing it back to race. There's federal laws protecting against race, disabilities, and veteran status in the hiring process, which is Thank what I was you. saying. Perfect. Again, but don't you think that if we just Googled unprofessional hair and it was associated with one specific race, couldn't that cause a loophole for companies, these capitalist great companies that you guys love to use that to discriminate against a race? No, because I, they're not putting those Google. policies in. It's just like you, you have white people right. who have horrible hair and who have like multicolored <laughs> hair and stuff. It's their prerogative. So um, let, let, let's move on. Um, yeah, I was going to say, should we talk about like the police now? So th yeah, that's yeah, exactly what I, that. <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. So um, another thing you hear about is um, um, over policing. What, wh I just like, uh, wh what is over policing in your guys's eyes? Over policing? Oh, Start with I, Jeff. Okay. Over-policing is simply, um, one, the abuse of law enforcement power, um, specifically related to a subset group of people in which they believe needs extra policing for whatever reason that they may have. Um, and that's what I see over-policing as. I see over-policing as... The, the disproportionate amount of um, um, black or African-Americans that are pulled over. We can talk about stop and fish laws all day if you want to, um, that are pulled over in certain municipal, at, at certain counties and cities. Um, 
versus other racists um, over policing. I can see that as um, just how many police presence there may be in certain communities. And I understand certain communities do need that police presence um, because they're, you know, quote unquote, um, dangerous neighborhoods. But that's what I see over policing as. Oh, I just want to respond to that really quickly. Um, yeah, go ahead. So you mentioned stop and frisk. Yes, I did. So stop and frisk added police presence to higher crime communities. They weren't targeted by race. You still have about 10% of the people being stopped for stop and frisk were white. There's no specific policy in stop and frisk that... You guys, you guys, you guys, you guys gotta stop using the law as like the 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 baseline of of what there is and where there's not, which I understand. But again, it, it, there is no law, but that doesn't mean that these officers aren't gonna target <laughs> black people more than they're gonna target white yeah, people when they're gonna, stopping. If you're gonna bring it, if you're gonna bring it down from the law to the individual person, it boils down to the individual. Not every cop is racist. Not every black person is bad. Not every Asian person is smart. Like. And you got to take it at an individual level. And okay, if but a cop go, is racist, he's racist. He shouldn't be in but, that position. But, but did it not lower crime rates in New York? It also caused a lot of headaches. Again, I'm not arguing. I'm not here to argue stop and frisk and the reason why they ultimately stopped the law, right? Because this outright. I think stop and frisk was unconstitutional and on call for too. Yeah, it was. It was that's unconstitutional. Literally, that's literally it's all unlawful. I try to say, but okay. It was unconstitutional, but I don't think it was necessarily racist. The purpose of it was that in the 90s, crime was out of control. Murder was out of control in New York. While, oh they, while they happened to stop more people of color, it's because in the communities, that's where a significant amount of not just minor crimes, of um, of um, like uh, violent crimes, like murder, armed robbery, that sort of stuff was happening in those communities. But can I can I jump in here really quick? Can I? Um, uh, so in the '90s in New York, when Rudy Giuliani was the mayor, he implemented a policy uh, about broken windows policy. If we start charging people for every minor crime we see, there will be a decrease in major crime, which did happen, but it fueled a major surge in the prison uh, overpopulation and you know mass incarceration as a result. And who did this predominantly you know affect? The African-American community in New York. And it, you know, it also happened with the uh, 1994 crime bill, or 93, and um, it didn't target any of the, you know, sort of white neighborhoods, but it added an overwhelming police force to the uh, New York suburb, or not the suburbs, the New York neighborhoods where um, there may have been some crime, but now they've become so overwhelmed with police population that, you know, people are feeling threatened and targeted by the people that are being sent there to protect them. But again, again, um, like stop and frisk was also kind of based off of, you, you want to talk about this sort of stuff. 
I mean, you that was a big Bloomberg policy, Giuliani. They all support it. And like Bloomberg was one of the big proponents. He's a Democrat. I mean, and they want the black vote when they put in policies. You also have the 94 crime bill, which but those were put in place to lower crime because it was out of control. The reason why they were in those communities were because that's where the crime is happening. And would was you, it effective? Would you would you would you would you acknowledge the byproduct of the crime and how it becomes a cycle of crimes? Right. The byproduct being um, black people being disproportionately jailed. Um, well, and they uh, also and, and, disproportionately commit crime. What crimes are you talking about? Do you know how many people I'm are, talking are about, incarcerated for smoking marijuana versus how many white people I'm, are smoking marijuana? We're not marijuana? talking about marijuana right now. I'm talking about I'm talking about right now violent crimes, murder, armed robbery, violent crimes. That, that was the that, big problem. But, marijuana, marijuana is not a huge is not I don't think, a huge issue when it comes. Saying that. I don't think you'd be saying that if this was five years down the line or this is maybe 10 years ago, I think you'd be saying the same thing that you're saying in regards to violent crime and saying marijuana is dangerous and it should be in jail. still for, a schedule one drug and there's still multiple, you know, hundreds of thousands of black men who are serving years in prison for these crimes just because of the war on drugs, which disproportionately affected black communities. So you'd have to understand. Yeah. And and when we come, when it comes to disproportionately affecting black communities, you, you have to at least not even understand, but acknowledge how that creates a system, right. That puts a set group of people in a specific location, such as again, the black man being out of the house, because they're usually in jail. If I give you the numbers of how many black men at or what age that ends up in jail due to these unfair practices of just, I mean, they what, what the three strikes deal, that the three strikes that they had during the war on drugs and things of that nature that took many black men out of the game of, for something just small, like marijuana. Um, and 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 having homes, African American homes with no dads, um, breaking apart the African American family, and and just it creating a, a, a larger cycle of poverty, and and then in turn having African Americans be blamed, um, in which again I don't think like you can't blame somebody a hundred percent. Like African Americans also cannot a hundred percent blame their falls on on one thing, which is systematically rate systematic racism but they can acknowledge the fact that it plays a huge role in the cycle of poverty and and because in the end of the day we are all humans and we are just trying to survive everybody wants to wants to be successful but in the end we also have to acknowledge that just like brendan said earlier there is an unequal playing field to 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 gain this pursuit of happiness Um, i said there's a there's just unequal starting points the playing field is unequal No, the the field is equal. The starting points are different. You just contradicted yourself. It's not it's not a contradiction. It's like saying lane one is flat, lane two is hilly, and lane three's got a pit. Or lane one, two, and three are the same, but this kid gets to start fifty meters ahead of that kid. It's completely different. Whoa. See I am afraid. I am I am worried. I am very worried. 
See, but if, if if you look at the proportions of crimes, so can we can we just all wonder why marijuana is still a Schedule One drug? Because Schedule One means it has no accepted medical use. I mean, yeah, that's that's the other thing. I think that's a completely separate debate. Yeah, not to derail it, but I'd love to have that debate. I don't understand why it's still a Schedule One. I don't smoke weed, but I see the benefits to it. it, Yeah, there's a lot of medical benefits, as we found out in the past ten years, because now there's federal funding going towards these labs who find, you know, this has many medicinal purposes for it. Uh, Such as my friend's mom has lupus; she uses uh, cannabinoids to sort of, you know, ease the pain that have once we're, you know, treated with uh, oxycodone and um, those types of pharmaceutical drugs, which last, you know, would create years of addiction. But um, that, that's a whole separate other debate. And I think yeah, that does, that has a have. whole, I mean, but it does intertwine into the war on drugs. I think that does yeah. have a large. Also, um, my, my, my one stance on the war on drugs is, or on prison rather for prison reform is no one should be in jail if it's a nonviolent crime or if it's a victimless crime, it should just be a fine. If you can't pay the fine. Yeah. I guess you could go to jail. To, so like to, tax, to, to tax evasion time for, yeah. Like that. Cause that's a waste of taxpayer dollars. Like they, they refuse to pay us well, and give back the, to the taxpayer. The now the taxpayer has to pay to put them in jail. It makes no sense. Same thing with the, uh, with a weed offense. You're going to ruin a kid's life over like a joint. It makes no sense. We're going to pay $150 a day to keep them in a jail for what? Cause he wanted to get high and not hurt anyone. How, it makes about, no how, sense. Uh, how about the thought of you seeing jail as actually what they claim to be in this rehab? To rehabilitate oh no people, right the prison the prison system is for lack of better words the re the re the reoffending rate in the united states is so much higher than than in europe where they have actual reform programs where they teach or rather teach prisoners how to become productive members of society i'm now, not saying they were broken they, when they were in there but they definitely do get broken down in there because you, when you go into jail you have to kind of it's man on man you gotta prove yourself and if you don't you become a punk there's also solitary confinement which that too which which breaks breaks people down yeah so like if you can't hang with the gangs you can't get protective custody you're going into you're going into solitary so i think the prison system needs to be reformed i think um the police recruitment process needs to be reformed. It needs to be revised on a federal level because I know there's good police officers out there and I know there's also some bad ones too. And I'd hate to see the police officers who got into it for the right reasons be labeled as racist and as useless to this country. But um, definitely there should be more training allocated towards police officers. And I feel like the first two hours of every day for a police officer should be reading up or retraining on something new, whether it be how to control a prisoner, how to, or even EMS stuff too, how to not even combative stuff, how to, if you're responding on to a scene where someone's um, non-responsive, how to bring them back to life and stuff like that. Administer Narcan. Yeah. Um, But I like how you brought that up. I think, you know, that could be a good segue into how can we sort of reform. How can we fix this? Yeah. yeah. And I think I've, I've read a lot about this recently and just the requirements uh, to become a police officer in America, like to become a deputy sheriff, you don't need really any uh, previous background well, training. That's, well, yeah, it's 620 something hours and then it's like 1400 to become a barber, but that's yeah. not counting the amount of hours you're on FTO, which is where you have an officer yeah, sitting yeah. next to you in the car. Yeah. So, so 
But but at the same time, I feel like for every upholder of the law, you need to uh, have a basic understanding of you know what the law is yeah. and how to effectively administer it. And also, you know, I agree with they, you. I f- there's there needs to be much more de-escalation training. That's the main thing because you know in our well, society we we are so quick to jump in to sort of bring the police in to uh, to fix everything like. Uh, you know, cleaning up the streets with the homeless instead yeah. of caring for their basic needs and creating more shelters or more programs for them to get off the streets. The or, issue actually yeah. lies in their confidence and their tools. Yeah. Because some cops are quick to draw a gun because they can't use their hands. So I feel like if it, bo- it all boils down to training, we got to give them more training, make them more confident in non-lethal tactics, you know, yeah. to de-escalate a situation. We're, we're so quick to jump in and involve the police to so yeah. many situations. And uh, it's become our primary problem solving institution. And, you know, for mental health issues, when we cut resources to them, the only, you know, reasonable way to handle a sort of crisis is with the police and, you know, there, I agree with you. There, there needs to just be a big reform. And I think we've seen, you know, how do the Europeans handle this? Oh, they have years of training. And while that may not be completely, you know, reasonable here, I think there needs to be much, much more training than what there currently is right now. Yeah. There well, definitely can, has to be something evaluated with the mental health of the American. So when we talk about all this stuff, when you mention more training, yeah. Are you just talking about de-escalation tactics? I'm talking, about, they, they, I'm talking about tactics across the board to help them protect and serve the communities that they care about. Because see, I, whether it be medical training, whether it be combatives, whether it even be um, dealing with a girl who lost her mom in a car accident, you know, just something to make them better at their jobs. Because I know the cops in this country, they care about their communities. And they want to better themselves. I want to give them the tools and the training to do so. Well, that, that's why that's see, I don't think it comes down because if somebody's racist, they're going to do this and that. Yeah. If someone's it's racist, sitting there, racist it's bottom of s- sitting there telling them just, Oh, watch a video. You know, this will tell you why not to be racist. Well, I think the solution is what people need to talk about is community policing. The, that too. The, the, the police embracing the community and the community embracing the police because that creates a system also, of moral accountability to each other. Because you also it, want to get it down to the point can where, I, yeah, you can finish. Well, what, what I wanted to say was that that creates a system of accountability on both hands because if you know an officer really well, you're not going to want to have that officer arresting you. Because it's kind of like looking and a vice versa. If you're a police officer, you're not going to, and you know these kids really well, or you know this guy who's always at like the local restaurant who just committed a crime, you know, you're going to have just a better relationship with them, which I think will be less likely to be lethal than anything else is just the, I think they need to embrace each other. I don't think any amount of training and telling somebody not to be racist is going to make them suddenly not racist. It also boils down to the recruitment process. 
Because if you can stop a racist from becoming a police officer, that's your best bet rather than retraining everything. Because if how, someone's how racist, can they how can they find that that someone's racist? Um, you could do it through psychological evaluations. If there's prejudices based on someone's worth, based up based upon their skin color, or their background, kind of deal. But like again, that's that's going to all be speculation, and people will challenge that. That's not going to that's not going to do anything. I that that's why I think what people need to focus on is the aspect of community policing. You're I think that, yeah, I I I you, I'd be, you know I agree, I agree with community policing, but I feel like making the recruitment process more selective would also put us off on a bigger and better starting stepping stone rather. I agree with all what you guys are saying. I, uh, especially, uh, Stefan's, uh, uh, community policing. I think that it is very, very important to have, uh, these cops, uh, especially doing their training, um, going to these communities, understand, um, who they're working with. Uh, because a lot of the time, the reason, I mean, we're humans, right. And most of the time I, we fear, what we don't know that's just natural right like if you were to be put in the middle of whole um fiji island somewhere and you heard some type of monster coming you didn't you haven't seen it you just hear it right you don't know it you're gonna fear it's exactly. a natural reaction and so we are putting a lot of these cops right a lot of these rookie cops um in these environments and and, and surroundings that they've they have no idea never interacted with of course, the gun is going to be the first thing you draw. Like, that's just natural. Like, I'm afraid. I've You just put me into this place, and I'm supposed to be on guard 100%. I'm going to kill whatever gets close to me. Exactly. I, I, of course, I'm being extreme in this situation, but I think you guys understand my point. Because, I'm going to exaggerate yeah, my points because yeah. some it, of the time... I'm community policing also boils down to training, too. It should be part of the training, too. Well, exactly. Where you get to understand your community and... And, and meet community it, leaders... Meet priests, meet rabbis. And meet... I agree with all that. But but on top of all that, there needs to be clear accountability for these cops. I agree okay. with that too. We need, we need to we need to we need to take away the gatekeepers that keeps the cops doing whatever they want to do and keeps them away from um, civil well, rights lit- litigation. Um and keeps them away from um from just accountability. You have prosecutors pr- protecting these cops in certain places, you have you know, it's just I, I if you really want to have a fair game, we need we need to understand the cops need to understand that we're paying our taxpayers are uh, what's funding them and they're there to serve and protect well, us. And, yeah. and it goes both ways. It goes both ways. Obviously the community well, and the cops. But it needs to be I need to have I need to be able to make sure that if anything were to happen to me, the cop understands that I have the power as as an American citizen, as an American citizen to 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 have a, a a civil suit um and to have justice on behalf of myself a lot of cops know that we specifically people of color specifically black people do not have that just that system to protect them and so it is abused ultimately so we oh. need to work on that uh, accountability session of the police reform i, think I, I, yeah, it's, it, I would agree the, with that, the accountability I, because in this in this country everyone it's written in the constitution everyone is supposed to be seen as equal and no one should be above the law. So bringing it back to account accountability of police officers, I think that is one of the most important things to protect a, the image of this country and b 
the uh, the justice system and justice being served to people. So I agree with you on that, that no one should be above the law and that I I do agree with the uh, the community watch groups that police the police too, just to keep not yeah, not but, to keep but them they, but they already have that. But, it's called the city council, mayors, those are the people that are supposed to be overhead. It comes down to the bureaucracy of it. Yeah, Why but is it so bureaucracy hard? disconnects but, the people from the process. Well, that, that that's exactly it. That's a, th- I believe that public employees should not be able to have unions because those unions should not be then coming back to the politicians and you know telling them, oh, you know, we'll give you a hundred million dollars if you support this legislation. And I think that that's a big problem with the police. And it comes down to like the officer that murdered George Floyd. That it comes down to that same thing is that he should have been fired a while ago. But I genuinely think the big thing that comes down is that the communities need to embrace the police and the police need to embrace communities because... That doesn't matter if there's no accountability. Well, no, well, no, no, well, that I believe that there, I just said that there needs to be accountability and that officers should be, should have been fired and, and that they should have, they shouldn't be as protected because they work for us. And I think that also also boils down to like when people get pulled over and stuff, you know, that shouldn't be the main money that police departments raise money is from traffic tickets, unless you're posing a threat to other people. Think about it this way. If you live, if you're in your town, you're less likely to do something like for say park crooked in a parking spot because people know it's you and you'll be held accountable. So if you have community policing, like Stefan's saying, it'll kind of nudge police to be more accountable for their actions because you know them personally and they know you personally. Exactly. Like, like, like when you do something bad, Let's say you're in school and you do something bad. You know, the real fear doesn't start until, until your, your parents come yell at you because you, you know, you know your parents well and you know they're going to be disappointed in you. And I think that that matters more. That's why it's about that bond creation with the community. You know, having the officers know all the kids in the community, play, play sports with them. You know, it's about that in all communities, they shouldn't be preying on people to fund their police departments, which is already using tax dollars. I think that they need to take all these BS traffic laws. Unless somebody's going 120 miles an hour and there's a ton of people on the road and they're posing a threat to them with their vehicle, then I think it's justified to pull them over. But otherwise, I think speeding isn't that bad of an issue unless you're posing a threat to people, but I think it's about that bond that you create. What what about a threat to yourself? Should I protect you from yourself? You're going about a hundred something. There's no one on the streets. Well, statistically look at like the, um, what's that, what's that road where they have no speed limits? Is that the Autobahn? Autobahn in Germany. The Autobahn has significantly less, um, accidents than like a standard highway in the well, US. Oh yeah, that's because everyone. That's because people they respect the rules of the road. And a lot of the accidents in the US are caused by people who don't respect the rules of the road. I.e., someone's camping in the left lane and people have to swerve around them, or someone going significantly slower in the middle lane causing a bottleneck in traffic. Mm-hmm. So it all boils down to respect of each other. 
mm-hmm. and acknowledging that we all work in this plane of existence and that we have to work symbiotically. But like, again, I don't think they should do like, let's say, let's say you want to be protecting from yourself. Let's say if they're going to pull you over. I think maybe doing some community service as the punishment rather than paying the police department. Also, you have an issue with us, with citizens paying the cops. That's pretty much it. It's a redundancy. They're funded by tax dollars. Everything is funded. But then the the majority of their money comes in through tickets. They should be properly funded to operate without then preying on the people. I wouldn't say a lot of their money comes through tickets because they get significant amounts of money in federal grants and stuff like that. But they also get a lot of money from tickets. The the tickets go to the municipality. That doesn't go to the department. But where does money from the municipality go? It goes to education and the police and everything else that falls underneath the umbrella. But the money still goes back to them in some form or another. Yeah, like probably like eight cents on the dollar though. Hmm. So, um, since we're talking, um, since we're getting more into police and stuff, um, I want to talk about the protests, you know, we're a week and a half in maybe more, almost two, I think weeks. two, three weeks, almost. So there's, so, um, so the, the initial, 25th. yeah, we're, we're in week three right now in week three. Yeah. So the protests are still going on. And at first, they wanted the officers charged. The officers get charged. Then people want police reform. Legislators start agreeing to police reform. Now the message is defund the police and create new systems. What I'm going to ask each of you guys, and I want each of you guys to respond individually, are should we defund the police entirely and create some sort of other system? Uh, Uh, We'll start with Jake. Okay. Um, So I think in, uh, you know, previous talks or whatever, uh, there was trouble distinguishing between the protesters and the rioters and the looters. And I think now that I would say all the protests are peaceful and nonviolent and everything like that, the message can be conveyed a lot clearer without getting messed up by uh, people you know, resorting to violence to spread their message. And um, I think that the defund the police message is, um, at least from what I've seen, is follow the money and see where it goes. And a lot of people are unsatisfied with the disproportionate amount of money that police bureaus are getting uh, from the uh, cities that they patrol or have jurisdiction in, uh, in comparison to public education, uh, the health systems in place, um, public transportation, everything else that falls under that tree of money. Uh, and I'll take uh, my hometown, Arlington, for uh, an example. The police force gets $70 million uh, annually, and that is a uh, much more than the public school system gets, the hospitals get, anything else get. Um, Yet, they still say that it is too expensive to buy body cameras so that discrepancies with police could be checked uh, because of uh, the, you know, video that they might get. I think that there does need to be a reallocation of funds 
just because I don't believe that the money is being utilized effectively. And if they're not going to utilize that money effectively and they're just going to continue to sort of, uh, well, some of their officers, I'm not going to say all of them, but some of them are going to abuse their powers. Then I think it is fair. And I think it is just for them to take away some of their money so that, you know, other parts of cities could be funded uh, more effectively. I do not believe what Minneapolis is doing will be effective. This sort of uh, community policing, I have no idea what they're doing, so I cannot speak on their behalf for that. I, do, I currently do not know what their plan is if they do abolish their police department, but I don't think that's what everyone is campaigning for when they say defund the police. I think that they just want to, you know, better allocation of their taxpayer money better um, utilization of their funds. So that that is my take on it. Okay, um, so I'm gonna have Jeff go. Um, I, I agree with Jake here. Um, <clears throat> first up, I would like to say any city, um, state that has the overall police um, funding three times, four times higher than the education. Um, how, how much they fund their education or healthcare is very telling about the society that they live in. Um, so I think that's one of the first things that people ought to pay attention to. Um, you just run through the numbers and the statistics and if uh, you're realizing that your tax money, 80% of it is going to people to buy special guns and get nice um, Ford Explorers to that goes with V12 and do what they do. And they're not effectively, again, keyword effectively cutting down on crimes and, and, and societal ills in your city. Then I think you're just wasting out, wasting your money. That's just plain simple. I think that if you're going to pay the cops all of that money and not pay your education system that much money, you got a bunch of kids, bunch of third graders that are still reading on first grade level, guess what? You're going to put more money into the cops to make sure that uh, statistically those kids that were supposed to be reading on third grade level that are not, that eventually drop out, will go through the cycle of poverty and then become crime criminals and then it becomes a big cycle of, some, of nothingness. So I think ultimately it's up to the city, the society to determine what type of society we want to be. Do we want to reform ourselves to build ourselves from the bottom up? Or do we want to just keep putting all our money onto cops and militarizing them and having them fix our societal issues? Mm -hmm. um, again, I do know a few guys in the Minneapolis area that were trying to explain to me what they were trying to do. Um, they are confused, I'll be honest with that, uh, when it comes to the defunding the police and the whole community. Um, on policing, I actually was in, in a podcast with somebody else from Minnesota I think two days ago about that. And they're saying that they're, they're just so tired of it, right? They're just so tired of how their tax money is being used to in turn abuse them. And they want to just scrap the thing um, as a whole. And what I said was, what you guys can consider is a reform in a sense of um, maybe changing up policing and um, like adding certain subsets of of professionals into policing. For instance, a police psychiatrist um, or a police sociologist 
Um, so for instance, if we were to call, if, it, um, if there was somebody that was, let's say, called in the back of a alley um, that may have been dealing with drugs, not necessarily violent, maybe a police, right? Somebody that is literally a police, right? He's still, he or she is still armed, but also a psychiatrist um, certified um, to, to maybe deal with people with mental health issue and de-escalate that could help so that we can start initiating. Yeah, but if you take away the money, you can't hire a psychiatrist. Well, well, I haven't mentioned anything about taking away money. Again, Brandon, you'd have to try to pay attention and listen. Um, I haven't. I, in fact, said the people in Minneapolis, they're confused. Um, what I did was to suggest to add on. Right. Yeah, but reform. I'm saying for the reforms, if people want reform, that requires money to pay for additional training. Again, and you wouldn't I, be able to administer I, that I, training as well. I understand that, but I haven't mentioned anything about taking money away from anybody. If you if you listen, I really haven't. All I said is if they care about their society, yes, it may require adding more money and more training. But I say that if that's I say that that may help. If not, and they, because I don't agree with community policing. This is the reason why I don't agree with community policing, because I don't know the detail of community policing. Like, I'm not going to wake up at 3 a.m. to go stop an armed robbery as a community member. I'm sorry. I'm asleep. I got work tomorrow in the morning. That's just not happening. Okay. So, again, I do not know the detail and the definition of community policing. Does that mean that I get to have a gun and go out there and stop these guys from robbing the grocery store down the block? Or like, again, I do not know the details of it. What I, because of that, I can't really sit here and say, let's cut out all well, the cops. Like, well, that's c- just. C- community policing refers to, um, it's the strategy of policing that focuses on building ties and working closely with members of the communities. Okay. I think you're, the, the better that phrase to use would be community police force. Okay, that makes right? sense. Okay. I, I think Again, I think that that's I just wanted to clarify that because community policing I, that sounds I, like a militia. Yeah. Well 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 no, community policing refers to the relationship that they have with the communities like we were talking about before. I think yeah. Jeff is trying to say it's like a group of members of the community who come I'm like, like a night watch group. I'm confused because I'm thinking community policing is a night watch group, but I think in reality is what we talked about earlier. And that is what Stefan talked about. And said yeah, that, yeah. 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 That, that. So th- those, those are the two, I guess, confusion. That's the reason why I didn't want to mention, talk about that. And I a hundred percent agree with that form of community yeah. pro- uh, policing. So I um, think that this is called, um, I would just call it for now for the sake of this, just to not mix up the two, maybe community bait there. Uh, p- community member policing. I don't know. I Let's th- just I say that. <laughs> I think we should call it community relation policing. That way we know there's a relationship between the community and the police, okay. right? Okay. So in, in terms of this, I think community relation policing is if it works and it could be very, very e- effective as we talked about earlier. Um, however, I think that there, there definitely needs to be a reform in how this is the consciousness and, and the mindset and how we view police and how police view us and how police view their, their occupation as a whole. I think they, they believe that they're, they're gatekeepers of justice and they can take a man's life away without due process. They gen- I know many cops that generally believe that. 
And that right there is unconstitutional to start off with. The fact that a man can say, I, I, I have a gun, right? Therefore, without you being able to have a due process, I would rather just take you out right now. And that's what I'm seeing throughout these, uh, uh, that's what we're seeing throughout the, the nation when it comes to police abuse. And that needs to change and that needs to change immediately. Now, defunding them, um, again, I don't, again, I, like I said earlier, if you're a society or live in a city and you look at the numbers and you see that education is less funded or, uh, or healthcare is less funded than your police um, force, you guys need to have a conversation. What is going on? That's the conversation that needs to be had before the conversation of defunding needs to happen. Um, so I'm going to let Brandon respond or just say what you think about um, defunding the police. I, I honestly am not in support of defunding the police because if you want police reform, as I said before, you're going to need to allocate more money for more training. And if you take away pay or money, you're going to decrease salaries. And right now the average salary for a police officer in the U S is around $53,000 a year annually. And the average salary in the U S is $55,000 annually, if I'm not mistaken. So it's on par with the average. So if you decrease the amount of money, these officers are making, like you could go and work in a factory 40 hours a week. You're not putting your, your life in harm's way. You're not having to deal with people every single day. You're not having to make a positive effect in someone's life every single day. You're not going to attract the kind of people who want to do it because a lot of people, it might not be worth it to them and their families for that kind of money to do that. Because at the end of the day, a lot of police officers have families and they have to support them as well. And for a decrease in pay, it just wouldn't be worth it. And you wouldn't have the right people in there for circumstances that they can or cannot control, which would be the salary that they would be getting for the job that they could make an impact in this world with. Um, like you're saying before, I do think we should have more psychology taught into police training and sociology, maybe have someone on shift as such. But if you take money away, you can't do that. Um, if you look at the TSA, I know they're like a private entity, but the average salary for them is $27,000 a year. And they've been known to not even detect bombs and they just get minimal training. So I think the whole argument of defunding the police force would just probably cause anarchy in this country because you would have these newer police officers who have, a, who, who would have the bare minimum amount of training, probably just target shooting at that rate. And they'd be getting paid as much as a mall cop not much incentive to do your job. So I think if you want to make a positive effect in policing as a civilian, you got to allocate the more money for the training they need and for the salaries that they need to support them and their families. I would say that the people that are advocating for defunding the police, I think that they need to have a unified front when, uh, when coming up with this. And what I mean by that is uh, as you know, be uniform in, in, in your demands and what you're looking for to, to help um, kind of decrease um, the confusion going around it. Because there are many people taking apart the fund, poli the, the fund the police movement 
for their own political um, movements, and, and it, it's causing a lot of confusion. Yeah, well, but they, either they, way, if you want reform, you can't take away money because then you won't have the money. To train I'm not them. here to argue for or against. I'm just well, here that, saying that, that if you are for that for that movement, I'm just I making a statement. Well, well, yeah. that that's what's that's why. So when it comes to Black Lives Matter, I support Black Lives. I support a movement, but I don't support the organization because every time, you know, we're now, they're now demanding something different than what they were three weeks ago. There's no clear message. And are we reforming the police? Are we defunding the police? Did we just want justice for George Floyd? At like, the end of the day, it, and then the end of the day, I, I like again, I get where you're coming from, but at the end of the day, we all know that it's an issue with hand, and that issue at hand is that there is uh, uh, an outlet abuse of the police towards a, a certain group of people, um, and that needs to change. Um, and again, it would definitely help for these people that are leading these movement, uh, or whoever is involved and these different type of movement to, to, to try their mm. best to try to be uniform as possible. But at least for me, I think that change needs to happen. Uh, Brandon's always, Brandon always says, you know, it's, it's, we, we are all constitutionally bound to be equal. Right. And, 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 and we are to hold ourselves up to that standard. Um, and, and so, but I, you know, and, and so I, I, I do think that that's ultimately what we, people the people in the movement right the people the activists that's ultimately what they're looking for is there a double standard a little bit in the in like the black lives matter movement when it comes to followers of the nation of islam the new black panther party um you know groups um the the black israelites um do you think that that affects the message the way it comes out? Um, I don't know what you mean by double standard. Um, so, so a lot of, so like you have Tamika Ma- Mallory, who was one of the founders of the Women's March, who's a big voice currently at this time for the Black Lives Matter movement, who refused to disavow Louis Farrakhan from the Nation of Islam. Um, which is in Chicago, actually. Do you think that there's a double standard? Like Keith Ellison, the prosecutor, is a former member of the Nation of Islam. Um, My question is, what has the Nation of Islam effectively done to... I, I just want to know. I, I'm not too familiar with the Nation of Islam, but I, I want to know there, what, why, why as a nation people are so afraid of them. I just want to know. So the Nation of Islam, they've been designated a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. They're in downtown Chicago. It's Louis Farrakhan. He's known for making um, really bad anti-Semitic comments. And I believe the ultimate goal is black supremacy. Um, but, but what actions have they done to act upon that? That's what I want to know. Well, they're they're not specifically doing actions, but it's still the voice that's getting out there. But how are you going to compare a supremacy group like that to, you know, I would say the main white supremacy group like the Ku Klux Klan, who has this whole legacy of, you know, acting out, you know, 
hate crimes and terror and lynchings and stuff like that. And I understand and that. Yeah, Louis but the, na- the nation of Islam was responsible. This is Mal- the organization that was founded by Malcolm X. They used to go out and hurt people. There was the, um, um, here it is. It was a minister. He was, okay, well, that one was murdered. Uh, <laughs> but, but like they actually killed Malcolm X. Led by the Nation of Islam, Jesse Bird, the Hanafi. There, I just, I just don't think they're they're comparable. I don't think that. But you know, but at that same rate, is the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacy still as big of a threat? It is still a threat. It is still. Have you? Did you see the uh, Charlottesville march? Did you see that yesterday in Birmingham there was a man who drove his car into protesters who was? Or no, no, it was Virginia. I'm sorry. Uh, that. The Birmingham shut down because the Ku Klux Klan said that they were going to come into the city, shoot every protester that they saw. So the entire city went on to lockdown for public safety. And then in Virginia, the head of the Henrico chapter of the Ku Klux Klan drove into the crowd of protesters. He has been identified as the head of the Ku Klux Klan chapter in Virginia. So yes, they are still a threat. Are they still burning crosses onto people's lawns and lynching, you know, African Americans? No, they're not. But they are still a hate group, and they still, they still should be t- classified as a terrorist organization, in my view. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with that. But what I'm saying is, you see on the news all the time, um, you see all the stuff about, you know, Charlottesville, all that stuff. But then when you have people acting on behalf of, let's say, Black Lives Matter and shooting officers, you know, that happened this past weekend at one of the riots and protests. They I mean, shot, I mean, I mean, they shot what, at two officers. But what I'm, but what I'm, what I'm trying I, to go for the question, point. Though. I have a question because I'm a little bit confused. What, what makes, what type of uh, form of identification makes somebody a Black Lives Matter? Is it just their skin color? Is it just like what, I'm what, saying how does that, that work? they that they support it? What clothing do they wear? What like what do they do? Because I support Black Lives Matter, but I've never, yeah, but, I'm not but, an but, activist in it, and so I, I, I just want to know what differentiate that because I, I, if somebody's KKK. I'm not, they'll tell me, they'll tell me, they'll have tattoos for it. They will. Not necessarily. Not necessarily, you know, because then you also have to talk about, they claim that there's this big alt-right, alt-right threat. Most of those guys don't have tons of Nazi tattoos and they don't have um, identifiers. The reason why I asked you that is because what Jake said is that, there's been like, for instance, Jake said the guy that ran through the the, the cop, well, the the car or whatever happened in Virginia. It's been a ident- like he has actually been identified as a, a leader in the KKK movement. Where I'm just trying to find how you can because they're acting on behalf of, they're saying that they're acting on behalf of Black Lives Matter to do this. Is it something? Is it something that you heard? You have an article saying, like, "Hey, I I did this because I'm acting on." Oh, was I just one of the looters? Was I just one of the pro? I mean, because I, I had a lot of people that were at the protest. That I mean, none of them, all of them were, you know, Black Lives Matter. I mean, I'm not trying to defend the situation that happened. I just I just want to know. Um, again, I need to speak to people that are activists. I I don't do the best. Um, job at that is speaking of people that are activists in that movement. 
um, to really under to really kind of understand how they and why like how they identify themselves as a Black Lives Matter movement and 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 the negatives and the positives that come with it. Bottom line is they are fighting for what Black Lives Matter is fighting for is completely different from what a KKK member will fight for. So I, I, the comparison right there is, is is to me unequivocal, and I don't I don't really understand it, but. Hey, go off. Do what you do what you have to do. But I don't know how you can compare somebody that's fight literally fighting to have their life matter versus somebody that's fighting to make sure your life doesn't matter, and that is terrorizing you in a sense. I, th- those two things are unequivocal to me. But but, but what I'm but ways. what I'm saying is take away. Okay, you can take away the violence because statistically, less you're less likely. But. But like, who who said that they didn't matter? Wait, you know, what? you're acting like it doesn't matter when people preach hate. That's basically what you're saying because you've got people like Louis Farrakhan who say that Jews are termites and all this stuff, and they're being supported by leaders of a movement. So, is it okay to replace one form of hate with another? I don't think it's okay to um, replace any form of hate with another. I don't think it's okay to preach hate in any form. Um, I do think it's okay to check yourself in, 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 in when you're in your argument um, in a sense of. Um, but there are officers it, getting killed at riots and protests. And these people are with. They're, they're not just that it's not a bunch of white supremacists who are walking around in hoods. It's people who are there, they're angry at the police. So is it all right for police to die? No one's arguing that. No one's saying it's okay for them to kill cops. But like... And also but, like, I, I, I don't like how you're comparing the, the nation of Islam to be, you know, so the same or intertwined with Black Lives Matter. Cause like, do you affiliate Tamika with the Tamika Mallory, KKK? Ice Cube, what? Do you affiliate with the KKK? No, you don't. You're a white man. You're Jewish. You don't affiliate with them. I am certain that 99% of the black population does not affiliate with the Nation of Islam. I literally, that small 1%. I, I literally have not really done research on them. I didn't know of them really till stuff. They're, they're a small, small pocket of a giant organization. You know, but, but like how, how much power does the Nation of Islam have? Because if they really had that power, I think that um, it, it, it could have been. Clearly something. they do. Look at where Obama got a lot of his money when he started running for Senate was from the Nation of Islam. In fact, he asked Louis Farrakhan, the leader of the Nation of Islam, to not release photos of them until after the election and after his second term, and he was out of office. So Louis Farrakhan waited to release pictures of the two of them. So if you're telling me that they're not a power group and that they don't have power and reach, because currently the KKK does not have such a great reach to the White House. The Nation of Islam uh, does. I mean, I don't know about this White House, but... Oh, I'm, uh, talk- I'm talking proof. Proof. You know, that's speculation when you say Trump's a white supremacist, but you've got people like the Nation of Islam who have direct reach to... Are you saying Barack so, Obama's so a black supremacist? I'm saying no, he no, has no, affiliations no. with the Nation of Islam. So you're telling me... You're telling me your boy Trump, right? You you're not gonna be able to find any affiliation 
with some of the people he's a, he's appointed. And he retweets. He retweets white supremacists on Twitter. Who, like there, there are certain tweets. You, you're t- you're telling me your man is a hundred percent immune. Even Miller is a white nationalist and a white supremacist. Where, where where's the very, where's the proof that Donald Trump wears a hood? His father was a white supremacist. His father was arrested for being in a white supremacist that is a group. Fact. That is a that fact. Is a fact. He also, his, fact. his security advisor, Stephen Miller, is also a nationalist. Google, Google Jeff Sessions for a while. Google, uh, I mean, I don't want to go into this. I mean, I don't want to go too detailed into this because we're going to go off track and it's going to be all night going back and forth yeah. about why your boy is a racist. But that's a whole different. Remember, he he called like topic. African countries shithole countries, and you know the Muslim that's, ban, and you know the, what, who, who so designated who designated those the states that were in the Muslim ban as threats. Who designated them that? Which administration? Okay. Obama designated them as potential threats, and Trump went around and said everybody from these countries can't get into our country. That is totally unreasonable when half of those countries didn't have any affiliation to any terrorist organizations. He just assumed they did because the majority of the population was Sunni Muslim. Or in Iran's case, Shiite Muslim. So... He acted on a totally unreasonable thing and banned every Muslim from I, entering the I country. I will not engage in conversation as to whether the man who... Can we get a quick is, point of clarification? Was the Muslim ban a temporary ban so that he could figure out what to do, or is it a permanent ban? He tried to make it permanent, but a U.S. federal court, or a circuit court, blocked it from going into action. Okay. So it never was upheld, because they said it was unconstitutional. So that... That, that's some clarification, but um, just Thank because, you. yeah, yeah. But it's, it's the same thing. Like um, the uh, Homeland Security has a whole website that has a ranking system for travelers who want to go uh, international uh, based on the threat level that they would have in those countries. If we started banning everyone from those countries from entering the U S we would have banned half the middle East, you yeah, know, but, half but- of Asia. So you know, almost all of Africa. So I, I don't. But I North don't, North Korea and Venezuela were also on that ban because of the total societal, uh, you know, as well as Nigeria, which is not a prime, which is not a primarily um, Muslim country. There just happened to be countries that were Muslim on it. They were not though. Like North Korea and Venezuela, travel had been restricted from those countries years prior. Venezuela had been, you know, messed up for for decades before any travel ban was implemented. Same with North Korea. North Korea has been a shit show since the 1950s, since its founding. So North um, Korea is actually actually North Korea is not a shit show. That's a whole different topic for another day. But you should uh, there's uh, YouTube videos I could show you. No, I know I know it's not a shit show. It's just well, the the concentration camp and their prosecution, also technically, and everything like that. Technically, we were at war with them till like last year ish because we only had a ceasefire. Yeah, the war they, they, wasn't ended officially until like until the twenty eighteen, I think. So there might Correct be me if I'm wrong yeah, on the date, the though, but I know it was a ceasefire. Um, so there might be you know videos of life flourishing in North Korea, and I understand it's not you know, at war with itself, but the dictatorship and the oppression of journalists oh, yeah. and the free media 
that, well, I'm not that saying is, that they're yeah. perfect. I'm just saying that we, we were at war with them. So that's yeah. why we had a child. I was, I was responding to Jeff's point that it's not a okay. shit which I shouldn't say, but it is, well, well, it is well, bad because it, it does well, have well, a lot of problems with well, it. Well, well, you're 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 here saying there's an oppression of um 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 of media. There's oppression of, of of what you believe is um human rights based on what you may have seen and researched. But I can also argue that I live here and there's the same there's the same ordeal going on here. Hence, why yeah, whatever right. happened weeks ago happened. Um, you're allowed to post on social media and you're allowed to make phone calls. And you're also allowed to take so leave the country buildings. You're also I, allowed to leave the country as well. I understand. Obviously, it's two different levels. I'm not going to compare a free, a free capitalist nation to obviously um, a, a, a nation dictatorship. Dictatorship. However, what I'm saying is that maybe, just maybe, um, I, uh, I, for me at least, until I'm able to go in there and experience it for myself. Um, I can't blanket dictatorship as a complete, like if, if people are in there and they believe it's working again, I have to go in there and see for myself. There's a lot of propaganda going around. I, I'm not going to sit here and let the U S government tell me what, what they believe North Korea looks like and what they don't believe North Korea. Looks so you like. believe that North Korea is a conspiracy? Well, I believe that. I, I believe that they used to be pretty bad, and I believe that if they're left alone, they can definitely govern their own selves, and they'll have the right to to do whatever they they choose to do. Yeah, no one's taken um, away from North Korean sovereignty. We're just saying that the people that live there are pretty oppressed. And how would you know? And look up, look up, here that are oppressed. Look up the three generational uh, punishment, where if a journalist or a man speaks out against a government or the dictator, whoever's in power. At that, you know, whichever one of the Kims is in power, uh, he will get sentenced to life at a concentration camp in the North region. His son or daughter will also get it. And then whatever grandchild. So his entire family will spend their entire lives in prison. If, you know, they have a kid who's born within the concentration camp, they will spend their entire life in the concentration camp until they die from hunger or probably malnourishment at the malnourishment. Because they don't get fed in those camps, and they are real. There's a lot of Vice documentaries about uh, exploring. You can even see them on Google Earth Earth if you wanted to. And there's there are there are camps in uh, well there was eastern Eastern Siberia. So so what do you um, suggest we do? What do you guys suggest we do? I I have no idea because it's not our place to do anything. Because it's not our country. I think this is getting a bit derailed. But wait, I'm gonna link something for you. It's this guy who snuck into North Korea for like four months. The second one, it's I mean, they have their they have their own internet, but but like this guy like snuck in so and brought China. And yeah, but China in. Chinese people can access like that real internet though. Uh, yeah, yeah, but like but like when don't look up TN Yeah, yeah, but like but like my mom lived in China really for a while. Though. My my mom lived in China, and on CNN, whenever they talk about China, suddenly the TV would just go black. Also, uh, some of the exchange students from China at my school, um, one of my friends was talking to them about Tiananmen Square, and they had no idea what it was. But um, it's just kind of tragic how they can just yeah. erase history like that. I want to continue on and talk about, um. 
I want to talk about this is where we're coming up on a little over or almost two hours. Um, I want to talk about something a little interesting that somebody sent me yesterday. It's called the steps to unlearning racism. And I want to know your guys' thoughts. So step one is racists are lynchers saying that white people only believe in racism if black people are being lynched. The second is the opposite of racism is colorblindness. The third is, okay, I recognize that there's a problem. Someone teach me. Stage four is depression, that which can last up to six weeks. And stage five is loneliness. Does that, do those five things stop racism? Depression and loneliness? Here, I'll, I'll send these guys, I'll send, I'll send you guys the list. Listen, nothing is going to stop racism. Until... Do you think lists like this are ignorant or they help? I think, I think, who made this list, first of all? How, like, uh, what, what's going on? Like, it's, does anybody just wake up and think they can cure racism with a bunch of lists? I don't get it. It's from Kronda. Here, let me, unlearning racism. <laughs> I guess it's, it's like that SpongeBob episode where the city was on fire and they're like, Patrick, we fixed it. Here, I'll okay. put in the link to the whole thing. Stage it's, three, recognizing there's a problem. That's beneficial. I think that's the like the th- main thing on there that is, you know, could actually be beneficial. I think that you can't unlearn racism because it's an idea. An idea lives in the head, and at the end of the day, you can't police thoughts. If someone's going to think someone something, they're going to think it. You can make it so, socially unacceptable. That's as far, I think that's as far as we can get. I'm not saying that to be a Debbie Downer, but realistically, that's as far as you can get because it's almost impossible to outlaw an ideal because it it can still live within someone's head. And I agree with that. I think that you you can you can you can, and that's what the Black Lives Matter movement is about: is yeah. changing the consciousness. Uh, 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 of of uh, and making it unacceptable to say this person's life is not worth as much because of their skin color. Agreed. And therefore, we can do whatever we can we want to them or act upon our power over them. And that also should be coupled with accountability. Like, if you were gonna have the thoughts of racism, that's perfectly that's not fine. But like, that's I can't control it. Like Brandon said. Yeah, it's, per- it, it's perfectly fine for you to think whatever you want, but it's exactly. not fine for you to act upon those actions Thank to you. take away from someone else's life or Thank livelihood. You. Yeah. Thank you. And therefore, we need accountability, fair, across-the-board accountability. That way, if you do act upon it, we can all know that, okay, yo, you choose to act upon it. Here are the group, set of laws for you because you violated by acting upon your uh, upon upon the way you think about a, a, a certain group of people. I, I just want to confirm. So these five steps are not going to cure racism. No, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me. What about stage four? Stage four is depression, them. and stage, stage five is loneliness. Well, s- they, stage, they should, stage there should four. be stage six. How come they don't have anything about unity in here? I don't know. That's it just it just know. ends on loneliness, and then she asks for money in the article. And then she apologizes and justifies Rosen, her capitalizing. 
You need to you need to read the list for the for the listeners. You need to read the list. Should I read like read the yeah. should I read the whole thing? Yeah. No, uh, just stage, stage one, okay. stage five. Okay. Just to, just to <clears throat> so just so we have it, the five stages of unlearning racism according to Cronda.com. Stage one, racists are lynchers. Stage two, the opposite of racism is colorblindness. Stage three. Okay, I recognize that there's a problem. Someone teach me. Stage four, depression. I can't believe how bad things are. Stage five, loneliness. I think I think racism goes beyond black and white because there were star Asians getting attacked over the coronavirus shit, which is inherently racist. There have been Mexicans who have been fighting for their life in detention centers for you know many months now. But is it a kind of racist when people make these lists deciding what, like, what racism is and putting it into their, like, like I'm not. I saying, wouldn't say like, it's racist. I think it's just them like trying to become relevant and trying to make money off of it mm. because they have nothing to add to this world. Other I mean, I, than think, sta- their I, I think I think I think stage one is a dangerous thought. Saying racists are lynchers. I mean, stage one definitely is a dangerous well, thought. If you, if you read it, I'll defend. I'll defend Cronda. Cronda. I think com. stage three is the only useful. Sta- stage yeah, one. I agree. Stage one says this is what many white people and many predominantly white communities learn oh, about racism. I get it. I get it. Okay, it was I a terrible coming from. It was a terrible thing that happened. There were sheets and beatings and lynchings and slavery. And then Martin Luther King came and yeah, now the president it, is black. It, it goes beyond black people, though. Black people are only 16% of the population. You need to understand. You also have, what it, yeah, it, it's predominantly, but racism expands beyond that. If we want accountability we and, we know and stuff for everyone, we have to focus on everything and every situation. But what needs to be understood is that... I'm not trying to take away from the movement. I'm just saying no, 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 I that we can get I, all I'm this in you. one push rather than you. going from Black Lives Matter and then, all right, we fix that issue, Asian Lives Matter, and going from that, I want to fix everything in one push. I'm with you. So you're I saying all lives matter? I, I. That's a whole different topic. That's up and I guess, yeah, sure. All right. So I think that, I think that, um, but yeah, for, I think that for what Brandon is trying to say when it comes to Asians and other groups of races is that the conscious, if the consciousness of, of how people think of black people changes, right? If it shifts, to a oh, more yeah, positive sure. rights. It affects everybody. Mm-hmm. It literally affects everybody so in a I, positive way. Because because it starts to make the idea of racism in general, like Brandon said, unacceptable. And so mm-hmm. while I get where Brandon is coming from, I think that tackling it from the group of people that get it the worst, because Phenotypically, it's, it's just easier to just as a black dude, as a black, it's easier to see oh, a yeah. black person. Right? Yeah, it's it's easier um, to see in that light. But I'm just yeah, saying, exactly, I would like to get everything done in one push. No, I understand you, and I'm with you because in the, the end goal here for all of us, I hope, is that Rosie's child, my child, Brandon's child, and Jake's child will ha- all have equal opportunity under the law to become great if they want to be. 
that's the uh, that's the end goal, regardless of the phen- phenotypical looks, the skin yeah. color. Because in the end of the day, let me tell you guys something: the man that killed George Floyd, right? If if they if he, if that man, the, the policeman, was having needed a heart transplant, right? And there was nobody else but George Floyd to give this man a heart transplant. George Floyd's heart will hypothetically work on his heart, showing that he is human just like he is, right? If he needed that heart to be transplanted into his heart to survive, and they asked that cop, dude, George Floyd is the only guy's heart that will work on your heart. Do you think the cop is going to say no or yes? Or in that moment, yes. Exactly. Or in that moment, he's going to understand that George Floyd is just as human as he is. Yeah. That is my point. So I want to just kind of do like closing statements for everyone, what they want to say, what they feel they got out of this, you know, just like a little summary or any points they wanted to say. So we'll start um, with uh, Jake. Okay. Uh, just closing remarks. Again, I think that these protests were uh, not for nothing. I think that positive change coming from, uh, these voices all speaking up at once is entirely a democratic thing and you're using uh, your right given to you in the constitution to do so. Um, I'm glad that people are speaking up. I think that the cases for Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, and Ahmaud Arbery, every other case uh, needs to be reopened and dealt with just like George Floyd. Um, And I think the biggest thing above all is vote, just vote. And that's the biggest thing anyone can do. I don't care who you vote for, but you're wasting uh, your, you know, right from birth uh, if you don't vote. So that's, that's all I have to say. Thank you. So now uh, Jeff. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go and and, and say that, you know, thank, thank you for having me on here. Um, Thank you. Thank you to the listeners as well. Um, I would say that um, shout out to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I think it's an important movement um, when it comes to trying to work towards giving uh, Black people their rights, um, equal rights, unequivocal equal rights towards um, as American citizens. Um, I will. I will also like to say that the, just like Jake echo what Jake said and say that the, 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 um, the protests are not in vain. Um, they shouldn't go in vain. Um, I don't think this mess that should also go in vain. I think that everything does happen for a reason and it's up to us as a society together, um, to make sure that we reach the end goal of making sure that police reform does happen. Justice does happen. Um, and, uh, and we are holding each other, regardless of if you're a police officer, a doctor, a lawyer, uh, or uh, somebody that works at a grocery uh, at the grocery store, accountable um, for injustices that happen um, in, in our society. Um, I, I, I again, I pray and hope. I'm a very hopeful individual, so I do pray and hope that there'll be days where the consciousness of hate against um, black people in this nation um, will will be shifted and would all see each other as human. Like I explained in my analogy with 
um, George Floyd and the cop that decided to um, use his knee to kill him uh, with the heart analogy. Because in the end of the day, we're all humans. Um, we're all one race. Um, and that nobody's skin color um, should define be, should define them. They should define the intelligence, the capability to, to build wealth um, or nothing else. Um, and again, I'm one of the few guys in my community that are very, very hopeful that it can happen. Um, and, 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 and again, echoing back to Jake, uh, I believe that, yes, voting is important. Um, people of all colors, shapes and sizes should exercise their rights to vote, um, especially black people here. Um, considering the fact that we couldn't vote um, years ago, um, and now we have that right. And I, I don't think voting is, should be just a, a national thing. I, I'm talking about your local government as well, um, voting out these attorney generals, uh, voting out these state prosecutors, these prosecutors, um, these uh, your city council members, um, making sure you vet them, put the, pr- the pressure on them uh, to make sure that they're following policies and, 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 and destroying and not backing up um, bureaucracies that stop justices from happening. Keep the pressure up, apply the pressure um, on, on these officials, uh, politicians uh, on all levels, f- federal to local. Um, let's start exercising that power um, because we are, you know, it says we the people, right? That's our power. Whether you're Democrat, Republican, we can all agree on one thing. We the people. And it's time that we are exercise it. Um, to, to make sure that we do get the right leader um, um, out of office if if needed be. The, the wrong leader out of office is needed be, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon, closing yeah, I remarks. Just, I want to thank Jake and uh, Jeff for coming out and being on this for the third time <laughs> with uh, technical difficulties. Um, although we probably don't all lay on the same political, the same line on the political spectrum, but I, I, I enjoyed the uh, mutual respect and everything like that. I enjoyed hearing what you guys had to say. Um, as for what I have to say, I hope that at some point in the near future, hopefully in the next year, we can all find unity, bring America back to one whole collective well-oiled machine and get back to kicking ass, getting that economy up skyrocketing it to record highs, getting unemployment to record lows as well. Um, I want, I want to see this country in the next four years having, I know on paper it's equal for everyone, but implemented, I want it equal for everyone. I want the police to be seen in a more positive light. And I want the police to be doing more positive things, even though I know some officers would die for a homeless person just to save their life and do crazy things to save people. Um, I just want America to be restored to the former glory that it once was that we read in the history books about how it was so great, even though, you know, how we hid the racism in some of the history books, I wanted to actually not be there. Um, I just can't wait to see what this country brings and I can't wait to see what this podcast has to bring. So I just want to thank everyone for sitting through seven, how long, two hours, 30 minutes almost now. I think we are at... Two hours and five minutes. Oh, I just want to thank everyone who got this far. Um, yeah, but definitely rest in peace to George Floyd. Something that is completely unavoidable. There's many ways to skin this cat, and I hope we can find a solution that everyone's happy with. 
Yep. Uh, so then I just wanted to say there are bad people in everything and there are bad people everywhere. I truly believe um, that people shouldn't just be judged by the color of their skin. I, I dare they shouldn't be judged at all because of that, because it's something that you can't help. You know, nobody chooses to be born anywhere. It just happens. You know, there's no clear sign on what to do, and we clearly don't have all the ant all the answers. Justice is being served for George Floyd, which is good. We're all human, and we need to come together more and have these types of conversations. We might not agree on everything, but at the end of the day, we all know that every life matters and black lives matter as well. If we keep avoiding talking to people with other opinions, nothing will ever get done. Thank you, Jeff and Jake, for joining us as our guests and to my co-host, Brandon. This is the this is the Rosen's Rantix podcast. Thank you for listening and watching us. Be sure to visit us at rosensrantix.com for more.